0: Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. In the year 312 A.D., Constantine defeated Marcus Aurelius at the Battle of uh, Melvian Bridge to secure his power over the Roman Empire. He had become a Christian right before that battle, and he declared that it was in the name of Jesus Christ that he had secured this victory. And so the motto of his reign became, One God, One Lord, One church, one spirit, one empire, one emperor. And then he turned his eye to the the church that he hoped would support his reign and discovered that they weren't as unified as he thought they were. There was a priest in Alexander by the name of Arius who said that Jesus was not the same as God, but similar to God because Jesus was made by God before he made the world. Well, that caused a controversy amongst the church. Because some people were concerned that if you were to say that Jesus were created and not coequal with God, that you would open up the, uh, you, you, you would open up the a can of worms to say, "Well, then there, there are multiple gods. there's not just one God." And, and so Constantine, trying to hold his empire together, called together a council and in 324, the Council of Nicaea came to be with uh, the Bishop of Alexandria and his apprentice, Athanasius, asserting that Jesus Christ was essentially the same as God. So, what do we have in Jesus Christ? in the incarnation, is something very unique, very individual, something that has never happened before or since, but in the person of Jesus Christ, you have someone who is fully human and fully God. And when they talked about him being fully God, they used the word "homoousia," which means the same as, same substance as God. Where Arius said, no, it's homoiusius, one letter made all the difference. He was saying it was a similar substance to God, but not the same substance of God. So the controversy continued until 381. Another council was called the Council of Constantinople, and that's where we get the creed from Nicaea. I want to read it to you, knowing the controversy behind it. And even at this, it doesn't solve all the controversy. I'll get to that in a minute. The Council, or the, the, the Nicene Creed, which was affirmed by most of the church, East and West, that came out of Constantinople in, uh, in 381. We believe, we believe in one God. The Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all that is seen and unseen. who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in the one holy Catholic Church and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The Eastern Orthodox didn't like this idea that The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. They thought it diminished the Trinity and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And these are controversies that have continued down through the ages as we try to understand what God did through the Incarnation. How God did it. Boy, do we want to know how God does things. But sometimes we forget the most important question. Not what God did, or how God did it, but why God did it. This year we're doing a deep dive in theology. If you have your Bibles, open them up to chapter 1 of the book of John. I promise you next week we will move beyond the 18th verse of the first chapter. (laughs) But as we listen again to this first chapter, and today we want to talk about the incarnation. And and as much as we can, uh, uh, what God did, how God did it, why God did it. But mostly that third area. Why God did it. But John makes it very, very clear, I believe, in these first few verses, the prologue to the Gospel of John, that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light Children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. The verses that we should highlight in our Bibles with regard to the Incarnation Are verse 1, verse 14, verse 17, and verse 18. Those four verses speak as clearly as possible of the reality that Jesus is God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side has made Him known. For those of you that uh, that know me well, you know I have five non-negotiables. Five things that I anchor my faith upon. And the very first one of those is Jesus Christ is fully human, fully divine. Fully human, fully divine. The second one is the Word of God that that this Word is the first and final authority in all areas of life and faith. I believe in the atoning death of Christ on the cross. I believe in the bodily resurrection of our Lord. And I believe He's coming back. Those are my five non-negotiables. If you call yourself a Christian a follower of Jesus Christ, it's hard for me to understand how you could deny one of those five fundamentals. If you want to talk about it, I'm more than happy to talk about it, but we'll talk about it through the lens of Scripture. Now, there are other things that are important, don't get me wrong, and I've got opinions on all of it. And I'm willing to have those conversations as well. I just don't think... That they are salvific in nature, there's a big word for you. I don't think your salvation depends upon what you believe about baptism. I actually don't think your salvation depends upon how God did the incarnation. is it of the I, I do believe that it is of the same substance, but within this union here's another fifty cent word for you, the hypostatic union. Those theologians love to come up with words that just confuse people. And more on that on another day. But there, what has happened in that union is completely unique. And, and, and we have the language of Father and Son. Why do we have the language of Father and Son? Because language is how we communicate to one another. You know, C.S. Lewis has had some great analogies. And, you know, he he talks about the ants and and watching ants and thinking that how could he as a human being communicate to those ants? And the reality is that there's no way that he he could communicate to those ants unless he became one. Another analogy that he uses is that of Shakespeare and Hamlet. The only way that Hamlet could ever come to know Shakespeare, the author, the creator, would be if Bill wrote himself into a play and introduced himself to Hamlet. Hamlet, I'm the guy that thought you up. I'm just thinking of a, of a, of a funny song about, a, a, about an, a, an author. Rail, railroad, railroad Bill. Has anybody here ever heard the song Rail, Railroad Bill? I'll see if I can't put a clip uh, 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 in the word on Wednesday. It's a great song. Uh, Railroad Bill's walking down the, you know, he's an engineer and everybody loves Railroad Bill and everybody wants to be like Railroad Bill. And one day he's walking by and he sees a cat stuck in a tree and uh, and he's going to rescue that cat. And Bill says, no, I hate cats. And, and and the and and the songwriter says, You don't understand. This is my song. And 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 you're gonna get up in that tree and you're gonna and you're gonna save that cat. He says, No, I'm not. He says I'm the author. And he does some funny things and in the end, uh, railroad bill uh, meets his untimely denies, demise, and the cat safely comes down out of the tree, and everybody lives happily ever after except for Railroad Bill and his wife and three lovely children. <laughs> funny, funny story. But I digress, I digress. But the, the, so understand who God is. Language is so important, but language in and of itself is limited. How do we as the finite understand the infinite and what is going on? And the question is not so much, did God do it? Yes, God did it. I think that's very, very clear in the opening prologue to John that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully human. Why, how God did it? I don't know. I wasn't there. You know, that's the argument that people come back to with the creation of the, of the world. Did, did God do it in, in six literal 24-hour periods or was it six eons? Does it matter? I mean, really, at the end of the day, does your salvation depend upon your view of creation? I think not. But your view of Jesus Christ as fully God and fully human, it does because if Jesus Christ is not who he claims to be, we are to be pitied. But why would he do it? There's the question. Why would he do it? And I, and I, I, I love the, the, the salvation story that, that Gary Moon writes in here. And there's two of them. But I'm, I, I just want to read you the one story because I just think it is a brilliant story. And I think it explains why. God exists in a loving community of three whose relationship is so joyful, pulsating, and vibrant that, those, uh, that it has best been described as a dance, a dance. God decided that all this was too wonderful to keep to Himself, so He created an entire universe and tenderly placed humanity at the very center. Like the offspring of proud parents brought home to a nursery. And then God does something even more amazing. He plants within the human heart a small but glorious piece of Himself. Under His watchful eye, these two creatures are to grow into beings who will become so, as much like God as possible. They are to join the dance and become partners with the Trinity. But the f- very first two, they make a fatal decision. They decide that they can live unplugged from the tree of life. The presence and energy of God and can, in fact, become God's themselves. God is not surprised. He saw this day coming even as He was knitting them together. You cannot surprise someone who is outside the boundaries of time. He's not angry. He does, however, become sad as separation and the reality of free will plays out before His eyes. He sets in motion a series of plans to woo us back home, refusing to give up on the original plan to be a nurturing parent to His precious children, showing them how to grow their character until it mirrors His own Through passing millennia, uh, God becomes the prodigal father, standing by his driveway, straining his neck, waiting for his children to come home. He sends cards, letters, patriarchs, prophets with the same message. Your inheritance is waiting. The promises can still be cashed. Come home. I want to be with you. I want to teach you how to dance. But when it becomes clear that we will not come home for longer than a brief visit, God can wait no longer. He empties Himself of divine dignity and wades into the murk and sits down in the mire alongside His prodigal children, becoming as much like us as possible for a while so that we can learn to be like Him forever. Jesus brings the good news that the doors to the kingdom are open wide and that the Trinity still wants us to join in the dance and to become as one with them as they are with one another. He then inhales death and separation into Himself and shows through the gruesome image of the crucifixion what it looks like to freely die to all that is separate from the will of God. And then He demonstrates through His resurrection that He knows what He's talking about. But that's not all. He sends the Holy Spirit with music and dance charts so that we can learn how to waltz with the Trinity even now as we wait for the real party to begin. Yes! Yes. Language is always going to, it's always going to catch us up. What does it mean? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's how we understand God because that's how the Word explains God. But in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he writes this in the second chapter, that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The Incarnation was not so that God could understand us. It was so that we could understand God. Jesus said it. He said, His disciples said, When are you going to show us the Father? And He said, I it, Jesus will be the easy one to to identify in heaven because of the red spot on his forehead you gotta be kidding me just kidding it's not something that we're going to be able to wrap our minds around it's it's not something that we 're going to ever fully comprehend and so he gives us language that we do understand to help us to understand the under- the, the that which cannot be understood fully and completely, this side of eternity. And and if we were looking for two parables that really help us to understand ourselves and to understand the nature of the incarnation, I think we go to to the good Dr. Luke. To understand ourselves, uh, Jesus tells a parable in the 20th chapter. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, He rented it out to some farmers, and then he went away for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent servant, a servant, to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the servants, the tenants, beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And then he he sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. And then the owner said, "What shall I do? Ah, I will send my son." Whom I love. Perhaps, perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir. Let let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And so they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and he will kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, May it never be. But that was the paradigm that was lived out. As Jesus comes to be as much like us as possible, that we might become like Him in eternity through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our view of God is critical to how we approach life as followers of Jesus. Some people see God as a, uh, as a, as a cosmic sheriff who rides a mighty steed named guilt, ready to just pounce on you if you step out of line. Some people see God as a mechanic. He's so busy doing things and fixing things and running the universe that He doesn't have time for the likes of you and me. Some see God as merely a a cosmic servant. All i got to do is put in my prayer tokens and God's going to give me what I want. And if He doesn't, I'm going to get angry and I'm going to walk away. Others sees God as just a big party. Just a big party animal. Hey, it's all going to be good. You guys just got to suffer down there for a little while. It doesn't matter because I love you all. and I'm planning the party up here. and Just wait until you get here. Everybody's going to get to come and it doesn't matter what you believe or why you believe it. There are people that think that. But if we want to know who God is, then you need to go to the prodigal son. which The parable of the prodigal son. You know the story. Two sons... One says, hey dad, give me my inheritance now. Which basically said, I wish you were dead. And the father does. He gives the son the, the, half the inheritance. The older brother, not too happy. He goes off and he squanders all that money. He has nothing left. And he's, he's dying out there. And he finally, in his own, he, he comes to his senses and he goes back home to tell his dad that he blew it. But when his dad sees him, he runs out to him. Dad is waiting for him. He wraps his arm around, kill the fatted calf, put the ring on his finger, put the robes. We're going to celebrate because this son of mine who was dead is now alive. And they party and they celebrate because the, 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 the prodigal child has returned. Tim Keller refers to it as not the story of the prodigal son, but the prodigal God. It's The prodigal father who longs for us to return to Him. And the son, the oldest brother, is actually Jesus. Not the brother that you read about in Scripture. Because everything belongs to Jesus to begin with. And here's another book for you to read. I know I throw these books out. This one, Athanasius. This was the guy who was uh, inspirational in the Nicene Creed. On the Incarnation. This is a little booklet. Uh, the... the uh, uh, prologue, the introduction, is by C.S. Lewis. I'll, I'll put that in a word on Wednesday as well. Oh, come on. I'm sorry. That's, I, I have that here because second service, we have a, online prayer chats. And so, it's not supposed to ring. Bad iPad. Uh, uh, but the idea that, 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 that Athanasius talks about is that when we were created in the image of God, uh, w- w- once we disobeyed God, and God said, surely the day that you eat of the, of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. First question in the Bible, Satan, did God really say? Hmm. So they, they already knew, they already had the knowledge of good. They already had it. Anyway, once they decide that they want to make the decisions that 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 image is distorted and, and and we die and and corruption begins to overtake humanity and left unchecked eventually humanity would destroy itself and so Jesus comes and he clothes himself in humanity to reverse that it was a cosmic shift an amazing shift in the in the universe where he takes on the fullness of humanity to stop the decay and to to restore the image. A a theologian that came after Athanasius was a guy named uh, Gregory of Nicaea. And he said it best. He said, that which is not assumed is not healed. That which is not assumed is not healed. Some people would later try to say that Jesus was almost fully human, but He retained the divine mind. He didn't have a human mind. No, no, no. The mind most of all needs to be healed. That which is not assumed is not healed. So in the incarnation, Jesus, fully human, fully God, restores the image in which we are created. He redeems it. He reconciles us with God. My dear friend, Ed. Ed used to say that there's only two things, point and process. The point is Jesus, the process is following the instruction manual. The point is our justification. The process is sanctification. It is important that we have these conversations and understand why, why Jesus became like us. But we can differ and we can disagree on how God did it. And we can have great conversations about why God did it. But ultimately, the reason why God did it is for our salvation that we might be healed, that we might be reconciled, that we we might be redeemed, that we might be back into that loving environment of the Holy Trinity and learn how to dance while we wait for the real party to begin. That, my friends, is why the incarnation is vital in our theology. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. It has been said that if you take Muhammad out of Islam, Islam remains. If you take Confucius out of Confucianism, it remains. If you, if you take, uh, who's the Hindu guy? Buddha. Buddha. You take Buddha out of Buddhism, Buddhism survives. But if you take Christ out of Christianity, it collapses. There are many narratives out there that talk about human beings ascending and becoming God. There is only one narrative that talks about God condescending to become a human being. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God. The incarnation matters in so many more ways than I can talk about in however much time I take on Sunday morning. Let's continue the conversation. Continue the conversation among yourselves. Buy the books, read them. Look at the creeds. Figure out what was going on. Continue to talk about them because it will sharpen your theology and affirm that your salvation is secure. And we can agree to disagree without being disagreeable as long as we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and seek to live into that kingdom each and every day to honor and glorify Him as Lord in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen.